Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. A quick note before you listen to today's episode of the Indo-Daily. This podcast contains descriptions from a war zone that some people may find upsetting. One of countless ambulance calls overnight in Gaza. This is Jabalia. Today on the Indo-Daily, chaos in Gaza as Israel prepares to retaliate on Hamas. Tens of thousands are fleeing from north to south Gaza before the land invasion Israel threatens. But that's a long way from the 1.1 million who live here. Amid a humanitarian crisis, Palestinians are forced to move as Israeli forces gather to attack Hamas. There is another emergency quickly, quickly developing on the ground in Gaza, and that is the lack of drinking water. World Health Organization says the forced displacement by Israel of seriously ill and injured people is, quote, a death sentence. Israel is also evacuating its own citizens away from the border following the Hamas attack. There's been an evacuation of what is referred to locally as the Gaza envelope. So that's the communities that are around Gaza because the border fence, as far as I'm aware, is not 100% sealed. The border between Israel and Gaza feels like a tinderbox with repercussions well beyond the Middle East. As President Biden has said, for any country, for any organization, for anyone thinking about trying to take advantage of the agony in Israel, we have just one word. Don't. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Bell True, Chief International Correspondent with the London Independent, Ruth Eglash, freelance journalist in Israel, and Shona Murray, Europe correspondent with Euronews. Every place I go, I go run away and I just find bombs and I find dead people. And like maybe one day I'll end up like them, but it's a really scary thing for me. Can I come to you first, please, Bell True of the London Independent? Where are you at the moment and, and what's your, your sense of development? Well, at the moment, I'm in Tel Aviv, which is operating quite a sort of strange way at the moment. There's, it seems almost normal, although most shops are closed. And then every now and then there's a rocket barrage and everyone disappears into the shelters. There's also reports that um, the airport, there's been you know rockets near the airports. I'm also sitting talking to people in Gaza who are really just a few kilometers away, um, but obviously experiencing a very different world right now. And the stories coming from there are extremely worrying of, of families who don't know where to go to keep, keep safe, who are running out of food, water, fuel. They've got no electricity. Um, it's obviously getting increasingly hard to speak to people because of the internet and, and people charging their phones. Um, and it seems that there doesn't appear to be you know, aid coming in. What is this situation now at the moment with the 
the, the forced evacuation, I suppose, uh, from the, the north of Gaza to the south. From what I can understand, there may be as many as 700,000 people who have moved from the north to the south. Uh, but, you know, that's not a confirmed number. But at least talking to the people who are on the ground, they say it's absolute chaos because families have obviously found it very difficult to move. They don't know where to go. The south is utterly full already and there is no space for people to take refuge. So the UN schools uh, where people often hide um, or take shelter were already full before this happens. The hospitals are all full across the strip. I was talking to a doctor yesterday um, in one hospital down the south. He said to me he hasn't been home for eight days. His home is actually hit in a strike. And his children were injured, but he hasn't been able to see them because he's just working on the injured all the time. So there's, there's still strikes in the south. Um, today, Egypt said that Israel was not cooperating on delivery of aid, which is really needed because people are running out of food, they're running out of water, they're running out of fuel, they're running out of diesel for generators. And at the same time, you know, morgues are overflowing, hospitals are overflowing, medical supplies are running out. It's something that we probably can't really fathom in our minds. One million people, no food, no water and still they're bombing them as they leave. Where are we going to put them? But my thought is, all these people in the hospital cannot be evacuated. Where's humanity? Where's people's hearts in the world to let this happen at this day and age? When are we expecting the the, the full-scale incursion by the Israeli Defence Forces to happen? This is the million dollar question that everyone is asking. They will never say when this will happen. And in this is the fourth war I've covered between Israel and uh, Hamas. And in previous instances where there has been a grand invasion, like in 2014, where I was actually within Gaza at the time, you just find out because... The, the, you you can see it essentially, so they won't give those kind that kind of information up because of you know security. Um, but they have repeatedly said that they are prepared, that they are ready, they're poised. I spoke to some Israeli military commanders who told me that they want to go in. It's it's a political decision ultimately that needs a green light. They also have talked about trying to, you know to have this forced evacuation or evacuation corridor, whatever you want to call it, down south. They know it's going to take time. This has been, you know, widely slammed by rights groups and the UN, who've said that it could amount to the forcible, to forcible transfer, which is a war crime, specifically for hospitals, because they just can't move people. There's thousands of injured people who cannot possibly evacuate right now; they'll die en route. So, it's really unclear whether they would push ahead with something like this whilst there's still civilians who can't move who are in the north. Um, and, you know, there's also, you know, Israel's also accused Hamas of preventing people from moving. So it's really chaotic and extremely worrying. How uh, heavy is the military presence then on, on the border? And they've, they've spoken as well about land, air and sea. So are, are, are we going to see a, a, a multifaceted uh, attack launched uh, here and how extensive will it be? So, yes, they have said a land, air and sea. When I've asked about numbers of troops, they won't give that for operational security. When I think back to the last time this happened, which was 2014, when I was inside Gaza, um, you know, at that time, and this was obviously not as bad as it is now, it did feel like being sort of a rat in a box because Gaza is only 42 kilometres long. In some points, it's only 12 kilometres wide. It's a very densely packed, heavily populated area. And in 2014, we had, um, you know, a fire coming from naval ships at sea, uh, tank fire. We also had airstrikes, drone strikes, um, ground troops, tanks, 
Apache helicopters, you know, just about everything was launched at the same time. So you can imagine coming from all directions. Uh, and, and so it does feel you know, extremely intense. And the bombardment at the moment is already heavier than they've ever done before. And that's, the Israeli military have said that on the record, that they wanted to have an unprecedented response to this unprecedented attack by Hamas. There is international concern that this response isn't disproportionate and that the situation will be even further exacerbated once the invasion happens. And that's what I'm wondering is, is this influencing Israeli thinking at all or are they intent on on proceeding with their military operation? From every conversation I've had with any military official, it's very clear that they are going to go in, that they have wanted, they've made it very clear that there's been a paradigm shift in their opinion of how they should operate in Gaza. They've talked about this being the sort of final moment to crush Hamas. There's been some slightly worrying language in terms of reducing Gaza to tent cities, which can be dehumanizing and is concerning. There has been calls for Israel to abide by international law and to, you know, to be proportionate. Um, But I think for the Israelis, this attack that happened last weekend um, was so extraordinary and violent and bloody. Um, you know, hundreds of people were killed, including British citizens. And I think at least 126 have been held hostage. That They really, really want to make it very clear that they will just sort of destroy Hamas. The question is, how can you do that whilst being a proportionate, you know, a proportionate attack in terms of civilians? I've spent a lot of time in Gaza. It is impossible to separate out, you know, militant positions and civilians. It's so densely populated it's so chaotically um, laid out. It's it's not possible to just you know have precision strikes that don't impact civilians. And I think that's what's really concerning. And I think what's also concerning is if you know Israel's decided that everyone's evacuated down to the south is a civilian, then that you know I think that the, the fear from rights groups that are talking about forcible transfer is saying you know that that will mean they'll just see anything any you know attack as, as being okay. So I, I, you know, I'm just hoping that this isn't going to be the case, and that civilians will be protected, and you know that also there will be some aid allowed into Gaza, and that this total siege they've put on Gaza will be lifted. Have Hamas highlighted severe vulnerabilities in in what seemed to be an impregnable Israeli defence with the, this attack uh, ten days ago? There's definitely been a shift in opinion about what the Israeli military's uh, surveillance, intelligence, and security capabilities, because this was utterly extraordinary. These militants, and I, and I believe also, they essentially targeted 80 different points um, at the border fence. That's what the Israelis say. Again, I can't verify that. I haven't, you know, I'm not counting the holes in the fence, but 80 different points. And they were able to overrun kibbutz communities, like villages, this music festival that was targeted, they were able to get into bases. You know, one military official said to me, we poured millions of dollars into that fence um, that includes having sort of underground wall that goes below the earth to stop tunnel building. And it didn't stop this from happening. So I think there is a concern at how this wasn't on the radar, how this is even possible, um, you know, how Hamas were able to collect the weapons they did. I mean, they they, they attacked by land, sea and air themselves. You know, they came across some paragliders. So I think a lot of questions have been asked about how they, you know this wasn't seen and wasn't able to be stopped. Is there fear in Israel about a, a repeat uh, of last Saturday week's events, or indeed that the the situation could could widen in terms of bringing in uh, other countries? 
So uh, there's been a, an evacuation of what is referred to locally as the Gaza envelope. So that's the communities that are around the Gaza um, area because the border fence, as far as I'm aware, is not 100% sealed. At least that's what um, the soldiers are saying to me. They are still, you know, they've, they've managed to kind of essentially park tanks by the holes in the fence, but there is still, you know, a potential threat of infiltration. So definitely people in the South, you know, are concerned that this, that, that, you know, that it's it's very it's not 100% safe to be down there. It's also very heavy rocket fire coming across. Hamas has fired a lot of rockets into Israeli territory as well. The other concern, of course, is other borders opening up, other fronts opening up, let's say. So there has been, um, you know, ongoing exchanges of fire with Israel and um, Lebanon and armed groups within Lebanon, including Hezbollah. And there is a concern there that that could also open up into a whole other front, um, which would be very difficult for the Israeli military if they were trying to fight on two entirely different fronts. For now, it doesn't look like that's happening. I think um, Hezbollah hasn't decided to join in, but they have warned that they may do if this ground invasion goes ahead. So a lot is at stake. And I think the you know people of Israel are are really worried that this could be a war that is on two fronts and they are basically stuck in the middle. And what's the mood then in the wider Middle East uh, to, ahead of what what is potentially a, a, a major invasion and escalation of the conflict? Obviously, Hamas has its um, you know regional partners like Iran who are allegedly involved in planning of the attack. You know, no one can say for sure. But I think just across the region, there is one of horror and one of deep concern for the civilians in Gaza. Egypt, of course, is taking a major role right now. They've been trying to open the Rafah crossing, which is the main crossing into the Gaza Strip for foreign nationals, because let's not forget that there are British, Irish and American nationals in, you know, in Gaza, amongst other nationalities. Um, that hasn't been able to work. They've been trying to get humanitarian aid into Gaza. That hasn't worked. There's deep concern for the civilians because Israel has announced a total siege, which again, rights groups are saying, you know, amounts to collective punishment and could be a violation of international law. And Egypt in particular, people are very, very worried about, you know, the, the well-being of the civilians. And I think on top of that, there's also some concern that people will be forced out of Gaza into Egypt and we might have another situation of, you know, displacement of refugees. So it's very, very volatile at the moment. It's very, very difficult. And I think all eyes at the moment are on the humanitarian catastrophe that's unfurling in Gaza. Now, we've had demonstrations uh, around the world uh, on, on both sides of, the, of this conflict. There have also been demonstrations in Israel. Is the population united behind the government on this? or, or And is there consensus uh, on what happens next? There's been unity in support of the Israeli military for what it's doing. And we can see this in indications, for example, Netanyahu built a wartime cabinet with his you know, main enemy, Benny Gantz. So they've been at each other's throats now for several years over different elections. And they put their differences aside and joined a coalition, which would have before been pretty much unheard of. You know, speaking to Israelis on the ground, there's definitely a feeling that like this was such a horrendous attack last weekend and there was so much bloodshed and the details are still coming out now. And there's obviously deep concern for the hostages within Gaza. And the videos are so horrendous that there is a feeling that, you know, there's sort of a green light for whatever the Israeli military does in Gaza. But that is not the only voice. I think it's important to say there are people who are really worried. Um, and this is coming from family members of those killed and family members of those who are missing, believed to be hostages, who are worried that this event will be used as a green light to, to you know, violate international law in Gaza. 
Um, there's also a lot of anger from amongst that community of, of people who blame the security establishment for not knowing what was going on, for not having the intelligence reports beforehand, for not being able to secure those neighbourhoods. So, you know, there's a lot of, I think, you know, shock and emotion and um, people reeling here in Israel as well. And that's expressing itself in different ways. Belcher, th- thanks so much for, for joining us. Now for the situation in Jerusalem, I'm joined by Ruth Eglash. The Israeli Defence Forces have spoken about hitting Gaza by land, air and sea. What type of of readiness and what numbers of of troops are we talking about here? Well, over the last week, uh, around 360,000 reservists were called up to join uh, Israel's standing army. Um, There's uh, large numbers of uh, forces, units, battalions, around the Gaza Strip, um, also in north of Israel, where there's been an uh, increasing number of incidents along the northern border with, uh, with Lebanon uh, from the terrorist group uh, Hezbollah, who are based there. So, you know, the country is on high alert on, in, on every front. And is there an understanding of the cause at an international level that Israel's response must be proportionate. People saying that international human rights must still be upheld here. I believe that Israel, I mean, according to briefings from the army, Israel's working to to strike uh, the terrorist group Hamas and its uh, facilities and infrastructure and individuals that were involved in the attack uh, on Israel uh, last week. Um, so I, I believe that that's, uh, that's still being upheld. I think that Israelis and many Jews around the world see this uh, attack by Hamas as the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. Um, that's really been spoken about strongly and regularly here in Israel. And um, so I believe, you know, it's, the question is what, is what is proportionate to that kind of uh, massacre of innocent civilians? Do you get the sense that there is a, a unified position within Israel in terms of its response to the the attacks uh, by Hamas? I mean, I haven't heard any dissenting voices. Uh, Israel feels very united, which is interesting for the first time in 10 months since Prime Minister Netanyahu came back into office in January. The country feels very united and very much uh, behind um behind what the military is doing. And uh, I'll add to that, you know, the reason for that is because uh, so many people were, have been impacted by this attack, by Hamas's attack. I mean, Israel's a very small country, a bit like Ireland. Uh, you know, the population is only 9 million and um, everyone is involved. Everyone knows someone who was either killed or was one of the was was uh, a victim in one of the attacks, or is has relatives that were uh, were killed or kidnapped. Uh, and there's 200 families have already been notified that their loved ones are being held hostage uh, by Hamas in Gaza. What do you think that Israelis make of the pro-Palestinian demonstrations that have been taking place around the world? I think they're very shocked. In Israel, there's a lot of talk about the Holocaust is still very uh, present in uh, in in Israeli psychology or Israeli education. And I think what they're seeing abroad is this 
sense of uh, this idea of Holocaust denial happening right in front of their eyes. The fact that there are people around the world who are, uh, you know, accusing uh, the Israeli military of 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 fabricating uh, the details of the Hamas attack, the brutality of that attack of. Uh, staging uh, photographs and things like that. Isra- uh, Israelis and Jews feel very much that the world is uh, is really turning a blind eye to their suffering. So I think that's really uh, a sense that you get here. And are are there concerns that the, the the response now from the Israeli military uh, to that attack could? Uh, inflame the situation in the Middle East and and perhaps draw other countries into this conflict? I mean, there definitely is a fear that that could happen. I mean, I already mentioned uh, Hezbollah uh, in the north of the country, where Israelis say they have evidence that Iran was uh, was involved on some level in this attack uh, on October 7th. And Iran is known to be a big funder of Hamas and also of Hezbollah. So there is a feeling that uh, this could become a regional conflict that it could grow. Okay. Ruth, thanks very much for joining us. Now to look at the European response, I'm joined by Shona Murray in Brussels. Shona Murray, what about Ursula von der Leyen then? Her response has come under an awful lot of scrutiny in the past week. She's been unequivocal in her support for Israel, understandably because nearly 200 of their civilians were targeted, massacred by Hamas. And many of them, as we know, are still um, taken hostage in Gaza and their lives are under severe threat. So naturally, your sympathy has to go to the Israeli people and these innocent civilians. But also you have to talk about the, um, the application of international law. International law applies in every conflict situation, not just if, when it comes to Russia um, targeting Ukraine, but when it comes to a state actor like Israel applying it to Gaza. And she didn't say this. She didn't say it all week, not once explicitly. She went to visit Israel, um, again, giving her unequivocal support to Israel and basically saying that the EU doesn't have a nuanced view in all of this, that Palestinian civilians weren't you know, the same as Israeli citizens, even though they are under the eyes of international humanitarian law. So she's been heavily criticised by that by the council. Now remember, the European Council is different to the commission. It is the member states. And I've spoken to several sources from Charles Michel's office who's, who are extremely um, frustrated with uh, her behaviour. They say that she has done huge damage to the EU's reputation um, in Europe in the Middle East and also the Global South, because there are complications in these countries in the Global South, which uh, tend to be really um, inquisitive about the West and Western so-called hypocrisy when it comes to international law. And they would view this as pure out-and-out hypocrisy because the EU has been calling on Russia to uphold international humanitarian law against Ukraine, but didn't do the same about Israel. And that has done huge damage because the EU has been trying to do a lot of reach out to the global south to get those countries and the countries of African Union on board in supporting Ukraine. So is is the EU as a result been seen to be too close to the US position and, and moving away probably from the, the, the honest broker kind of stance and one into just outright support for Israel? That's what the fear is. And that's why uh, on Tuesday, Charles Michel, the president of the European Council, has um, called an extraordinary meeting of all heads of state and government, the, the prime minister, Taoiseach, of, of, the, of the member states. And they actually managed to put together a unified position, which utterly condemns the massacres by Hamas, but does call 
for um, the use um, of international humanitarian law that uh, civilians should not be um, targeted, that collective uh, you know punishment doesn't go uh, you know occur. So that is a quite a strong statement, and it's actually really unusual that they had all 27 member states on board for that because countries like Austria and Hungary they never will say anything in support of the Palestinians because the fear is the implications of the EU not seen as an honest independent broker anymore or more moreover a hypocrite are huge for what is what the EU has been trying to do for the past two years, like I said, in the global south and Africa. The people like David O'Sullivan, the former EU commissioner, former EU ambassador to the US, has a, his job is literally to go to these countries and try to explain why Russia should not be supported and why Ukraine should be supported because of Russia's illegal invasion. Now, obviously, the two wars are totally different. One is a territorial conquest by Russia, but they're still talking about upholding international law. And then suddenly to sort of uh, sideline rule of law when it comes to what is a humanitarian crisis in Gaza, that is quite profound. So the, the Irish position has been quite nuanced on this matter. Outright condemnation of the Hamas attack, but at the same time saying Israel has right to defend itself but not to breach uh, human human rights uh, rules. Is is that out of kilter or are we just an early mover on that or are we now pretty much in line with everybody else uh, around that European Council table? Ireland is constantly trying to put forward the uh, movement for a, an eventual two-state solution or a movement for aims towards peace outside these wars. And unfortunately, the voice goes uh, sort of unheard because there's lots of other crises going on. And some countries aren't as interested. But Ireland stands with sort of Spain, Belgium, Luxembourg to support this position. Israel is a country that is surrounded by enemies, uh, brutal, savage groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, They do have a right to defend themselves, but they don't have the right to breach international humanitarian law. Uh, And I'm really concerned about what I'm seeing happening in Gaza at the moment. We were early movers as well. We were the second country to come out and condemn Barhele. I think our statement was was the strongest because he was talking about the legal basis and saying it was unacceptable and wanted an inquiry into it. But I think at this point now, uh, the majority of countries are recognising that the implications of not having a nuanced view understanding the importance of rule of law, that that's catastrophic for the EU's um, reputation, you know, in, in, for years to come. So we are sort of within the majority and most countries are on that side, but certainly Ireland does have a much more open view or progressive view when it comes to an eventual two-state solution. Now, finally, th- there have been protests across the weekend in a large number of, of European capitals uh, in favour of, of both sides. Um, are those protests having a, an impact uh, on policy making? Sometimes it comes up because obviously you see a lot of anti-Semitism at some of the pro-Palestinian marches. And that's a real concern because uh, anti-Semitism and de- defeating anti-Semitism is a priority for the European Union for obvious reasons, given what the European member states have done to Jewish people through over the years. France has the greatest uh, number of Jewish uh, citizens, I think, outside of Israel in Europe. Um, Germany, we talked about Germany, responsible for the Holocaust. So anti-Semitism is huge and that will be taken on board if it's seen that there's a growth in anti-Semitism as a result of um, this latest uh, conflict and war between Hamas and Israel. My thanks to Shona Murray and earlier Bell True and Ruth Eglash. 
I'm Fiona Sheehan and today's episode was produced by Gareth Mulhall, researched by Mary Carl and Dave Hanratty, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from RTE Primetime, BBC News, Channel 4 News, Sky News, MSNBC, the European Commission and the Irish Independent. You can keep up to date on this story online at the Irish Independent. And if you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. If you've been affected by this podcast, you can find a list of helplines on our website, the Irish Independent. Just search for someone to talk to. We're offering Indo Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engage. Subscribe today.